Hey there, friends of Holy Shenanigans Podcast. I'm thrilled to share that I'll be recording live from the Wild Goose Festival this July 11 through 14. Wild Goose Festival is a transformational community grounded in faith-inspired social justice. It's a one-of-a-kind gathering that brings together activists, artists, and seekers from all walks of life to explore justice and art, spirituality, and community. The festival will take place at Van Hoy Farms in Union Grove, North Carolina, and I'd love for you to join me there. From engaging workshops to inspired panels and interactive experiences, Wild Goose has something for everyone. So mark your calendars and let's be part of this incredible community that is committed to making a positive impact in the world. For more information, visit www. WildGooseFestival.org. As one of my followers, use a discount code A-TLE24. That's A-TLE24. And you'll get $50 off the price of an adult weekend ticket. We will see you there at the Wild Goose Festival to connect, to build community, and to work for social justice. Welcome to Holy Shenanigans. I'm your muse, Tara Lamont Eastman, a poet, a pastor, and a podcaster. In episode 107, with special guest, author, pianist, and activist, EDJ, we consider the power of mercy, how compassion and forgiveness can flip the tables of harm to bring unexpected healing. If you have ever worked as a server in food service, you know what kind of hustle it takes. From waiting tables, mopping floors, washing dishes, serving food, and working with the public, the term service worker is accurate. From my own experience as a service worker, I can say that some of the best and worst of it was, well, to do with the people that I served. There were times the kind and generous regulars would tip well above the norm, the customers who would be patient in the wait of breakfast or lunch rush, the person who sat in my section and treated me like a person, imagine that, instead of an object only there to attend to the wants of the client. And then there were those who saw through me and my co-workers. There was no thought of who we might be, that we might have names and lives and feelings that we were human. One day in the midst of a lunch rush, I recall a table with two businessmen. Their expectation was that their wants would be taken care of first, that their order would be perfect, that there would be no wait. This was not uncommon in service work. But what was terrible about this exchange was their conversation as I and my coworkers walked by their table. As they impatiently waited for their order, they were rating the staff, not for our work, but about our appearance. They had finished their meals and continued to make sport of this, loudly comparing our physical bodies on a scale of 1 to 10. 
Their objectification was so bold that as I passed by, one of the men reached out and touched my backside, making some lewd comment. It was something like the way you see people physically inspecting a steak in the grocery store. But I was not a steak. I was a person doing my job as a service worker. But the men at that table, my humanness and that of my coworkers, had dissolved into becoming tools of a trade, objects to be observed and used. And as I handed them their bill and told them it was time for them to go, they retorted, leering at me, what if we want something else? But I stood my ground as best as I could and said, there is nothing else here for you to order. For you, this restaurant is permanently closed. The men laughed off my rebuff and flaunted their cash and credit cards. But my manager, a scrappy woman from Philly, kicked them out of the restaurant. Thank God for her Philly attitude. Thank God that I was part of a team of service workers that stuck together. Thank God that even in the midst of this terrible instance of objectification and misogyny, it ended with the men leaving without doing additional harm. But I still wondered then and now if this is what harm occurred in the middle of a restaurant, in the middle of a lunch rush, what other harm and dehumanization did they live out when they walked out of the door of that restaurant? How many other service workers and women were treated by these men of wealth and power like things, like meat, instead of humans? The gospel lesson this week is from Luke 16, and it's a parable of a rich man, a poor man named Lazarus, angels, and Father Abraham. The rich man in life ignores the ill Lazarus just outside of his gate while he had the power to extend mercy and care for Lazarus. The rich man passed him by. That was a cruelty even beyond objectification. The rich man refused to see Lazarus at all. Both Lazarus and the rich man die, and they are met by angels. The rich man and Lazarus are taken to the underworld, or Hades, in the parable. The angels carry ill Lazarus to Abraham, and the rich man stays and experiences suffering. His suffering is so great, he asks Father Abraham to send Lazarus to bring him a cool drink, or to send Lazarus to his living brothers, to warn them to change their ways, to live God's way instead of in cruelty. But Abraham refuses, saying, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This parable is wild. Jesus telling a story about Hades, of Abraham refusing the rich man a second chance, of angels extending compassion to Lazarus, of a rich man in the midst of suffering still wanting Lazarus to serve him to send him on an errand to warn his brothers. And the point of punctuation from Abraham, that some people will not listen to correction or reason, even if the messenger has risen from the dead. It's very important to remember that parables are a story to make a point.
This is not a literal reinforcement of the idea of Hades or hell as a place, but a message of warning to people who treat fellow humans with cruelty, objectification, or dismiss them into invisibility or unseeing. This parable is also a way for Jesus to foreshadow the message of his coming death and resurrection, as well as the fact that many will not accept his resurrection as truth. But for today's point of focus, around three and a half questions of love with EDJ and this wild parable, I draw our attention to the power of mercy. I think that Jesus' intention in this parable is for us to understand that the message to the rich man and to all of us is this. Mercy is the message of the good news of Christ. Mercy forgiveness, and compassion. I am so excited to bring to you a special guest, EDJ. EDJ and I met at the Wild Goose Festival earlier this summer, and we were in a session about writing, which is really fitting because she is an author, a pianist, and an activist, which you will learn more about in a few moments. Um, EDJ, I'm so thankful that you are here with us in the Holy Shenanigans neighborhood. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So today I'm going to be asking you three and a half questions all around the topic of love. And my first question for you today is what do you love about being you? I love the journey, <laughs> the journey of being me and becoming myself. I grew up in an evangelical setting in Australia and I kind of was a real perfectionist and got to adulthood at 18 and felt like I was drowning in shame and perfectionism and mm-hmm. trying well, trying to be perfect and um, just feeling like I was a failure and my life was not going to work out the way that I wanted it to. So I actually went to Bible college and it was actually a very – saving grace for me because I encountered a lot more of the love of God at Bible college Mm -hmm. and kind of came into the understanding that there is grace for everything, that my life is covered in grace because I had this focus of works and, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just trying to be perfect and encountered God as love. And, um, yeah, it was wonderful. And then, um, in my twenties, I, was really struggling with my own singleness and with purity culture and the messaging that we have to be abstinent. And um, I actually was able to write some books during that time. And so even though I struggled with being single or being lonely, but I had a lot of time and was able to write. I was able to look after my mum who actually passed away from cancer Mm -hmm. in that time. And um, I look back and I go, it's an incredible journey even though there's been some negatives or some hardships, I've the overall journey is amazing and a blessing. And um, 
and learning. It's constant learning and growing and changing. And uh, now I am married with children and um, so my dreams are coming true (laughs) and life is developing in new ways and I am enjoying the journey, I would say. Thank you so much for giving that whole overview of how Grace worked through that journey in your life. And so with that groundwork for our conversation today of grace and love, I wonder if you could tell me a story of how love came into your life in a very authentic way that made a difference for you. Mm. So my mom and I weren't particularly close when I was young because she was also a perfectionist. So she was very driven and, um, I I felt like she suppressed a lot of her emotions and I did the same. So I just kind of copied. There was a time when like she was diagnosed with cancer and she came into realizing a lot of things about herself and her own journey and just understanding God's love in a new way. And um, she reached out to me in ways that she hasn't in the past and was able to, we were able to reconcile some of our, own relationship and draw closer to each other like she was just really honest about past things that had happened and and so I think I experienced a healing in my relationship with my mom and an experience of love with her that I maybe had felt that I lacked earlier on it's really is profound because um being there for her as she was passing away it's it's not something that everyone gets to experience like a real reconciliation and I really look back and feel her love and feel the love of God in that Mm, thank you I know that that's a hard thing to share but I appreciate your vulnerability in that the text for this coming week is what I feel a story of mercy and a call to mercy and to reconciliation, even though the parable is kind of the strange parable with Abraham and this person who's passed and didn't express mercy in their life, right? But I think the overall reason behind Jesus telling this is like, excuse me, could you pay attention to mercy and forgiveness? And, you know, that's really what God's kingdom or kingdom, as I prefer to say, is about, not about perfection. Um, and Mm, and as a Lutheran pastor, we understand our state of being as people is that we're always sinner, always saint at the same time. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's about practice and it's about intention and it's a lot about grace, a lot Mm -hmm. about grace from, um, our theological perspective and understanding of God. And so having those opportunities for reconciliation are not perfect and oftentimes are in times of great grief and loss, but they still are an expression of love and grace, an amazing and strange Mm. way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've talked about being a pianist, about being a a mom yourself, about um, your work as a writer in your 20s. But I'm just super curious, what do you love to do in the world? So I love writing, obviously. (laughs) Um, I started actually by writing supernatural thrillers in my 20s. (laughs) So I have a a few of those that I was on. Awesome. Um, 
And now, so I mentioned purity culture earlier and the abstinence message and things like that. So right now I'm still really deconstructing that message and writing a lot about that and discovering more about feminism and equality and gender equality and yeah, and being like queer affirming, all of that kind of stuff is really coming into my life. I actually have four queer uncles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so two, my mum's two younger brothers or two of her younger brothers because she has three. Um, they both came out and they are married to men. And I feel like I am writing a lot about that and writing a lot about purity culture and breaking down some of the traps that were in my life from those messages. Um because <laughs> I felt like I was told to dress a certain way and yeah. um, behave, well, behave like I'm asexual when I'm not, yeah. um, all that kind of stuff, like just suppress it, deny it, avoid it, um, pretend you don't want it, pretend you don't need it. All of that was very damaging to someone who's single until she's 32 years old. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I wasn't intentional. I didn't set out to be single till I was 32. It just, that's just the way that it worked out. I think that that is such an important counter message to share. I can say that that was my experience also in that culture yeah. and how that pressure to perfection, mm-hmm. especially I think for women to take responsibility for yeah. all of what comes along with physical intimacy and emotional intimacy. Yeah. I remember even early in uh, when I was a youth director, and this may resonate with you, um, that there was a, these special events that they would have for young women called the ring thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where where people would um, women young women would receive like a purity ring if they would make this promise of abstinence, right? Um, yes, I've definitely heard about that. <laughs> yeah, um, and I remember at that time, even though I wasn't particularly informed about patriarchy or those issues in the church, there was something about that that did not sit well with me because I'm like, why is it yeah. always the woman's responsibility? This is not equitable. Um, and I had mm. other youth directors, male youth directors that would say, oh, hey, are you going to take all the girls in your youth group to this event? And I said, are you going to take all of your guys? Yeah. <laughs> and they'd be like, well, why would we take? And I'm like, no, I'm not, you know? And so I'm, I'm thankful that in that role, when I was working with youth, my experience of, um, you know, being have to temper my sexuality or temper, you know, the fact that, you know, I should be able to wear what I feel comfortable wearing um, and Mm -hmm. not have that be an issue of scrutiny. Yeah. I was thankful that somehow (laughs) through what I would like to say, some holy shenanigans, I had this deep understanding that I didn't want other young women to have that kind of pressure. Mm. You know, and I'm I'm grateful for that. Um, still had a long way to go in my understanding about mm-hmm. that. But like you said, it's a journey, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where can folks find your books and find your work in the world? So the books are on Amazon. Um, if you search Covenant 999, those are my supernatural thrillers. Um, I am currently writing Deconstructing Religious Sexual Trauma. I'm writing that so it'll be published hopefully in the next year or so. (laughs) 
it's, it's definitely getting there. Um, you can find me on Facebook, E-D-J-E-A-D-Y-J-A-Y, same on Instagram, and I'm on TikTok as well. So in the half question, I usually ask, what is the message of love that you would love to share, love to share with the world um, if you had their ear? Something that I've learned is from First John, when he says that God is love, and then he says, as God is, so we are in this world, we are love. We embody love. We are the love that we need. We are the love that our friends and family need. We are God's love in this world. And yeah, I just am learning more and more about being love and seeing myself as love. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. I would share. When I first went to Bible college, one of the messages that I heard was, it doesn't matter what you alter, you're still God's daughter. It doesn't matter what you've done, you're still God's son. And that absolutely blew my mind. I feel like I just about had a nervous breakdown after hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to share that and hope that someone else might go, oh, wow, that's what I needed to hear. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about this idea uh, that I probably will use in my children's message this coming weekend. I've got a little mirror that I picked up at the discount area in Target. I want to write on the mirror, you are loved. Your neighbor is loved. Work for love together. And I'm thinking mm. in that way, they look into the mirror and that they can see themselves and they can also think about their neighbor and they can think about that partnership, which also is a connection to that text about mercy right? Um, Mm, The man walked by the person on the street in the story who was suffering every single day. One, he forgot he was beloved. And he also forgot that his neighbor was beloved, right? And that Mm, is such a beautiful statement. Could you repeat it for us so we could hear it one more time? It doesn't matter what I alter. I'm still God's daughter. It doesn't matter what I've done. I'm still God's son. Mm, That's beautiful. And may that be the mirror that we all look into and reflect out into the world, right? That we are loved, that our neighbors are loved, and that we need to work for love in the world. Mm. Yeah. I think that that would be a truly beloved community. I know I use that terminology a lot here on the podcast and in my preaching, but I kind of think that that's the point. So EDJ, I am so thankful that you are using your life and the things that you do in the world and your writing and in the care for your family and your friends and just who you are to be love in the world. Thank you. (laughs) Till next time. May you be well. May you be at peace. May you be loved. Thank you, EDJ, author, pianist, and activist for Mercy. To learn more about her work in the world, go to edj.com. This week, as we consider this parable and the possibility that mercy is the point of Jesus' parable and message, 
I find myself thinking of the rich businessmen that were kicked out of the restaurant that day. I wonder what their ask would be if they were in the shoes of the rich man in today's parable. Then again, what would be my ask of Father Abraham if I was a character in today's parable? What would your ask be of Father Abraham? In our wondering about today's parable and the power of mercy, I was reminded of a poem I penned in 2007 titled, What If? As you listen and consider today's parable and EDJ's wonderful tale of mercy, I invite you to ask yourself, what is your what if when it comes to the power of mercy? What if? Sometimes my mind spends most of the time replaying, creating, and taunting with ideas that worry, ideas that cause scurry, ideas that wander and whine. Instead of thinking on what isn't sinking, instead of pondering what is fine, instead of focusing on what is present, what is pleasant, and what is kind. Sometimes my mind likes to wander to places that are dark and cold, taking me to places with unfriendly faces, the places where defense is gold. Instead of thinking on what is today, instead of cherishing what I hold, instead of drawing attention to beauty, to what is sweet and bold, sometimes I think I need to stop and think about things that matter, that last beyond the temporal soil. Sometimes I know I need to want what I have, not what I think should be my goal. Instead of focusing on wants and what-ifs, instead of reaching to remotes, what if I looked at what I have, what I possess, and present a treasure untold? I am your holy shenanigans muse, Tara Lamont Eastman. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Holy Shenanigans that surprise, encourage, redirect, and turn life upside down, all in the name of love. This is an unpredictable spiritual adventure that is always sacred, but never stuffy. Thanks to Ian Eastman for sound editing and to EDJ for being this week's special guest. Also, thanks to HSP listeners for supporting our work by way of www.buymeacoffee.com backslash Tara L. Eastman. Dear hearts, until next time, remember that there is power untold in the works of mercy and in the words of EDJ. It doesn't matter what you oughta, you're still God's daughter. It doesn't matter what you've done, you're still God's son. Mercy is something all of us need. Mercy, dear hearts, is the message.